The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I am very glad that you have joined us. As usual, we're going to have a great program for you today, and I know that uh, you're going to uh, find a, a lot of good information and a lot of good inspiration about the spirituality of connectedness. We've been getting lots of wonderful likes on our Spirit of Recovery Facebook page, so thank you for liking us and for putting your uh, comments on that page and for participating here in our Spirit of Recovery community. I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your unity community and your other spiritual communities know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. I am very delighted to have the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Thank you also for emailing me and for letting me know what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. And thanks for letting me know that what we're doing here is making a real difference for you, that the guests I bring are really touching your heart and giving you some uh, good ideas about uh, recovery. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. And we bring you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know, you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can uh, listen, of course, live via your computer, via your smart device. You can also listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. If you go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, you can access those archives at any time. I want you to know also that if you are enjoying Spirit of Recovery and also any of the other wonderful programs on Unity Online Radio, you have the opportunity to support the network financially. And you can do that using your smartphone. You can make either a one-time gift or a recurring contribution. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone and know that your contributions do support both Spirit of Recovery and all the other great programs here on Unity Online Radio and that you can make a difference by making your financial donation. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. And so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're the family member or friend of someone with the disease of addiction, and perhaps you're in your own recovery or not, or perhaps your friend or family members in their own recovery or not, or perhaps you're someone who's just curious, interested about the process of recovery, you're welcome here. And we're glad that you're listening to Spirit of Recovery, and you are welcome to email a comment or call in a comment or a question or, or email in a question for my guest, um, and we'd be happy to uh, address that on the air today. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of this Spirit of Recovery community. My name is uh, Anna Schaus. I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister and also an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. 
And 33 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my walk continues to be an integration of the unity and recovery principles. And it keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing and um, uh, having a wonderful life, one that uh, I could only dream of years ago. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity uh, to be in this uh, this uh, engage with these recovery principles and the unity principles. So I'm, uh, again, delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you, to bring you great guests, and also to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Our topic today is the spirituality of connectedness. And we're going to be talking about how the idea that the essence of recovery is moving out of isolation and into connection connection with oneself, connection with a higher power um, as we define it, as our, by our, each of us defines it our own way, and certainly connection with other people, that the essence of community is joining uh, into that community of life. My guest today, who knows a lot about this and who practices the spirituality of connectedness, um, and I know you're going to be delighted to hear what he has to say, is Chris Shea. Uh, Chris is a husband and a father. He's also a graduate of the Washington Theological Union and the St. Hyacinth College Seminary with degrees in philosophy, theology, and pastoral studies. Chris is also a nationally and state-certified addiction counselor, and he has been involved with addiction counseling for almost 20 years as a clinician and an administrator. And in that process, he's implemented um, different treatment program modalities. He has integrated uh, what's called evidence-based treatments, meaning treatments that are based on uh, research, or treatments that p- promote lifelong recovery for clients. Chris is presently the campus minister of a Catholic high school in Maryland, and he's also the adjunct professor in the Family Studies and Community Development Department of the School of Liberal Arts of Towson University. He, um, before he became an addiction counselor, he had an almost decade-long pastoral ministry as a hospital chaplain in the Washington, D.C. area and as a retreat leader in the New England region. He presents at seminars and trainings across the country, and he is uh, published in medical and peer-reviewed journals. Uh, Chris has also been very active in leadership in the addiction uh, field, and he's been the past president of the Maryland affiliate of NADAC, which is a professional organization for addiction counselors. And um, he's currently the chairperson for the St. Mary's County Alcohol Coalition. And he's uh, on the advisory board for the National Alliance for Drug Endangered Children. So Chris brings a wealth of experience and um, uh, practicing of these principles that he's going to be talking about with us today. So Chris, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you very much. It's an honor for me to be here and uh, very pleased to have been asked to uh, speak with you and with your audience. Thank you so much. We're glad you're here. And let me also tell the audience, I forgot, that um, they can read uh, more about you, learn more about your work. You have a blog. It's called Life's Journey Blog. There's no apostrophe, but if you look up lifesjourneyblog.com, or you can also look up Life's Journey Blog on Facebook and also connect with Life Journey Blog on Twitter. So you can find out uh, more about what Chris has to think and, and more about the work that he does. So, Chris, tell us about how you got interested in becoming uh, an addictions counselor and uh, also, again, you had lots of experience um, as in pastoral ministry. So tell us first about uh, the pastoral ministry. What got you interested in that? And then we'll hear about how you got into the addictions field. Sure. It's, uh, I am very blessed to have had a very full life, uh, you know, interacting with many different folks. And all of that's been just so amazing to, you know, see everyone else's uh, spiritual growth, where they are along their journeys. And a lot of that is the reason for me uh, beginning the blog on life's journey, you know, recognizing that all of us take our journeys. All of us are, uh, you know, going along our own roads and never really knowing where they're going to go. And, uh, you know, having that spiritual sense, having that faith in, you know, that God is uh, our understanding, our higher power, it's really been evident in my life as I've taken a lot of twists and turns. And I did start my um, 
adult life, uh, very involved in the uh, pastoral ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, you know, my uh, educational background is in theology, and my whole point of what I wanted to do in life, what I felt I was called to do in life, was to minister to other people, to help in the healing process uh, for other people. And I started doing that with the uh, teen retreats and uh, really enjoyed that. But over the years, as I did that ministry, you know, kind of realized that as much as we can help that group increase their uh, relationship uh, with their higher power, what was happening to people who were ill? And a few mm-hmm. things had happened within the lives of some of the teenagers, that, you know, of which I was working. So really got me more towards the hospital ministry. And <clears throat> as I was working on my uh, uh, graduate degree um, right outside of Washington, D.C., I, I was uh, privileged to be able to work as a, a chaplain over at our Children's National Medical Center uh, over in D.C. And that really uh, opened my eyes, really enlightened me to a lot about myself, to a lot about the spiritual sense, uh, a lot about the journeys that everyone takes. So I really think, you know, that's that experience of working with children who are ill and working with their families uh, really inspired me to move forward in, into where I am today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like when you really encounter suffering in, in such a big way, in almost such a raw way, it, it changes you, doesn't it? Almost definitely. You, I don't know how you can do that type of ministry uh, in being true to your own spiritual sense, being true to those to whom you're ministering, being true to yourself, that it's not going to change you. And um, I'll tell you, my spiritual sense really grew in working with the children, mm-hmm. uh, just really understanding the way that they live life and and. For those who look at my writing, whether it's the writings on my blog or the social media or my publications, I'm always stressing in, in all of those living in the moment. And for me, that's a, a very important theme uh, for the way that I've approached my clinical life as well as, as well as my own spiritual life, that we really have to live in the present moment. And the children at the hospital taught me that, mm-hmm. you know, that, Many of them who were very ill, uh, either chronically ill or some of them were terminal. What I realized is they understood what all that meant in their own way. They understood it. Mm-hmm. But to them, it was more important to enjoy what was happening now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I thought when we were playing games or coloring or, or talking about other things that my clinical training told me, well, this is their diversion. This is their way of not coping with what's happening. But the more that I talked to them, the more they would say to me, yeah, I know I'm dying. I know what that means. I know, you know, I'm leaving my family. I know I'm leaving this place. You know, they grasped it. But then they would look at me and say, but we're coloring. Mm-hmm. They really lived in the moment. And, and I think that that's something that really helped them to get through what they needed to get through that it's not a denial of the future, it's not a denial of our condition. It's a true acceptance of our condition, where our conditions may lead us, but also the acceptance of what I'm dealing with now. So it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Um, that took me many years to, to really flesh out, you know, but that's, that's really something that I think has really helped focus me in, in where I'm going, and that's really a big common theme of mine, Um is looking at living this moment, enjoy the moment, look at the little things in the moment. Um, and my other theme is a perspective, how we need to look at our lives, look at the life around us, the world around us, uh, maybe slightly different uh, than we are used to looking at it and find the wonders that we would have missed had we uh, not looked otherwise. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you use yourself and that you share with other people to to do that, to change that perspective and notice um, things we might not otherwise see? I really try to encourage, and and again, that's part of the creation for my writings, is I'm really trying to encourage people by the photographs that I'm using, by quotes that I find from many wise people in the world, to help people to say, you know, just for 10 minutes, and I know we live in a busy world. We're all way too busy. 
But if we can stop what we're doing for 10 minutes and really begin to reflect on what's happening to me right now, whatever I was doing, whatever was happening, when I stopped, what am I doing? What am I feeling? What's around me right now? That I think is part of what we're lacking in our society. And for me, that's where I really want people to, to learn. And, and I really hope through a lot of that social media that it's not a one-way street, you know, that I really acknowledge that, that we're, we're journeying together. And, and the more I can learn from others as to their journey, uh, you know, we create the community of learners, a, a community of people trying to find their way. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody has the answer, you know, to this journey. But that's one of the reasons I, I have my catchphrase. You, you look at all my blog posts start with rest stops. You know, to me, they're rest stops along the journey. It's, it's when do we take those 10 minutes to pause, reflect, and then move on, uh, you know, with our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you um, work with people that have the disease of addiction, what have you noticed that's the same uh, with them as maybe with those children that you worked with? It really was a very natural progression for me to move from the pastoral ministries that I was doing into the field of addiction, Mm -hmm. mainly because regardless of the person to whom I was working, there was always a sense of yearning for something greater. Some might call it a spiritual yearning. Some might have an actual God definition, whatever it may be, the the point being that what I was finding in dealing with people who are trying to work toward recovery versus other people with other types of, of mental illness or, or medical illness, I think the, the act of, of the addiction really fundamentally strips away one sense of the spiritual, really strips away somebody's sense of, of who they are deep at the core. And I don't know if other diseases or mental illness does it to the same degree with this. So really where I saw that similarity is, you know, we had individuals of many varied backgrounds really suffering with the same thing, that besides the craving for the the drug or the drink, whatever it may have been, there also was that yearning that, craving in a, in a sense for what is deeper, what is about me that I need to find. And even though my counseling at that time was not necessarily pastoral per se, the talks always got into finding yourself. And I don't know how one can find themselves without ultimately finding a spiritual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like when people, uh, as you say that, when people have that disease of addiction, they are looking for something deeper, something more, because, of course, when people get to that desperate place, they're seeing whatever it was I'm doing really isn't enough. Right. You know, it's whatever was attracting them uh, into the the drink or the drug to begin with. There was something lacking in their lives, and, and they thought that this would be the thing that would take them where they needed to go. And, and when they begin to realize it isn't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think then that's where they start to struggle. So this isn't doing it. Uh, they don't really know how to stop. And I think that there's a point in many people's lives who, who are struggling with addiction who get to a point where their values, morals, et cetera, kind of have to go out the window and not necessarily by choice, but by the actions and, and essence of what they need to do to maintain the active addiction. And right. I think one of the hardest parts for them when they're coming into a sense of recovery is that deep realization of what they've done. Mm-hmm. And that's part of where I've tried to look at, you know, living that moment because I, I think what hurts many people's great attempts at recovery is that they can't move from the past. And they're really living in, in that regret of what they did. And I think if we can move them beyond that, we need to acknowledge that. We, you know, we're not going to sweep it under the carpet or hide it behind anything. But how do we acknowledge that 
learn from that, move forward and growth from that, and continue along the journey versus being stuck back there. Right. Yeah, that's the wonderful point. We'll be right back to that. It's time for our first break. Um, our topic today is spirituality of connectedness, and my guest is Chris Shea, who is an addiction counselor and a pastoral counselor. We'll be right back. Stay with us on Spirit of Recovery. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Available, you pray the free prayer app from Silent Unity. For more than a century, people from all over the world in all walks of life have turned to Silent Unity. With you pray, our confidential prayer support is easy and convenient to access. With you pray, you can send your prayer directly to Silent Unity. You pray also includes affirmations you can share with family and friends, plus audio meditations for your prayer time. For more about the free you pray app and links to download. Visit silentunity.org slash app. That's silentunity.org slash app. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, our topic today is the spirituality of connectedness. We're talking about the idea of um, that recovery is, of course, moving out of isolation and into connection with oneself, a higher power with other people, and becoming a real part of the community of life. And my guest is Chris Shea. Chris is an addictions counselor. He's also a pastoral counselor. He has been involved um, in as an addiction counselor for over 20 years. He's very active in leadership in addiction professional organizations like NADAC and um, the NCAD, which is uh, Alcoholism and Drug Dependence um, in the state of Maryland. And he's the chairperson for the St. Mary's County Alcohol Coalition, and he's on the advisory board for the National Alliance for Drug Endangered Children. Uh, Chris is presently serving as the campus minister at a Catholic high school in Maryland, and he's the adjunct professor in the Family Studies and Community Development Department of the School of Liberal Arts at Towson University. And so uh, we're having a great conversation with Chris about uh, that connection between spirituality and recovery. Before I get back to my conversation with Chris, I invite you to join me in the Serenity Minute. A brief moment to relax, to share a constructive idea with me, and to take a moment of quiet to make that connection with your higher power as you understand your higher power. So I do invite you to be aware of your breath, to allow your breath to relax you, to feel that peaceful presence of your higher power from the crown of your head all the way through your body temple, to allow yourself to relax, allow your thoughts to drift to the edges of your awareness. And share with me this constructive idea. I am a valued participant in the circle of life. I am a part of. I am a valued participant in the circle of life. I am a part of. And now we take a moment in the quiet.
Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. I'm glad that you have joined us. Glad that you are with us today. And now we um, are back to our conversation with my guest, Chris Shea. And we will be uh, hearing a little bit more about this idea of um, spirituality and the connection that it makes for us. And also we have a caller on the line, and we'll be uh, talking with her in just a moment. So, Chris, um, before we get to our caller, uh, you have a wonderful quote by Louise Langman, and it uh, reads this way, People with addiction tend to be concerned with spirituality, forgiveness, and guilt, each relating to the human conscience as the person struggles with who they are, who they ought to be, and the meaning of life. These are the existential aspects of living with addiction. So this quote almost sounds like addiction is a gateway to finding meaning. What do you think about that? I would definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, I think when you go through something as profound uh, as you do with addiction, uh, something that really tends to overtake you, you can't help but to be transformed, uh, especially if you're working toward recovery. And as they work toward recovery, if you can take those areas that you seem to have lost in your life and fill them back up, uh, you know, as in what the quote is saying, if we, if we can find all of that, then we've really changed our lives. Um, it really helps us to give a deeper meaning and understanding to who we are, to our relationship in the world. And I think one of the aspects you know, that works for me even within the addiction counseling is that I can get something out of it too in the sense that when I can see how others who struggle actually come forth and shine on the other side, I can really learn how they were doing it, learn from example uh, of what they're doing. And that's part of that connectedness. Getting not only the client back into a connection to themselves, their families, their society, but that connection that we see with the spiritual sense. Right. And I really think, you know, when you look at a lot of writings on addiction or even working the 12 steps, people can do that even who are not involved in addiction or recovery. And, And I really see it. Actually, I have a talk I've given before on, you know, the 12 steps for non-recovering people, mm-hmm. because you really look at those factors and say, these are steps that can lead me to a deeper, healthier life. Right. Well, before we hear more about that, let's hear from our caller. We have a caller on the line, Nicola, and we uh, want yeah, to hear Nicola. what you ha- Is it Nicola? Welcome, Nicola. Glad yeah. you're listening to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you. And so do you have a mm-hmm. comment or question for my guest, Chris Shea? Um, yes, I do. Um, I was wondering, you know, I hear, you know, I, I glanced at your blog, and um, it's fabulous, by the way. Thank you for your beautiful words. Um, and your blog does, you know, talk about living in, in the moment and, you know, staying present to keep yourself you know, grounded and, and going, but um, as as a person who I've had a lot of personal struggles, and I I find that our society it, it's so hard to stay in the present moment because everything is always about the future and what's going to happen, and it's really difficult to redirect you know myself back into the present moment um, when I'm you know always. I almost feel like if I don't start to think about the future and I'm only in the present, then it's almost like an excuse to not better myself out of the the pain. I mean, how would you suggest that a person who is almost depending on, on what's going to happen in the future to, to make me feel good now, how can I redirect myself back into the present? Good question. What do you think, Chris? Good. That, that is a very good question, and, and I think it's a question many people ask. And, you know, I, I know through the various uh, people that, you know, I've worked with, the worry about the future seems to overtake. And one of the things that I've done, a, a technique that I've worked on, 
is, I don't know, I guess most people know about a two-column method of, you know, pros and cons. But the way that I look at this uh, pros and cons is I ask people who are worrying about the future, take that future event of which you're worried, and if you make the two columns, and one column would be a column of the things that you can control and the things that you can't control. Because I think a lot of our stress and anxiety comes over those items that are out of our control. And the more we try to control things that we can't control, the more frustrated, anxious, stressed that we become. So I think if we can look at a future event or a future worry and focus on those two columns and take the column of the things that I really have no control over and every time I focus back on there, I've got to consciously focus off of that onto the other column that says, what can I do? And the more that I can focus on those areas that I have control over, that I can influence, that I can work on, then the more I'm feeling in control, the more I'm feeling in control, you know, my anxiety, my stress, that's all going to begin to go down. Because for me, when I'm saying living in the present moment, what I'm not saying is don't plan for the future. What I'm really focused, though, on is not to worry about the future. So we need to plan for future events. Uh, we need to plan for, say, an education or for a family or for a job or whatever it may be. But if I only stay there and I miss the beauty around me. So I think if, in answer to that question, if you're making these two columns, consciously stay focused on the one you would have control over. But I also think you can begin to take moments and just stay focused on what's going on around you. And, and when anything else intrudes, um, then within that intrusion, acknowledge it but put yourself right back to where you are. Um, I really like, you know, how, how you start this section with meditation, you know, because that, that goes right on with, with what I'm saying about, you know, take a, a time in your day, you know, to do that. Mm-hmm. Great. So, Nicola, did that uh, give you some good food for thought? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, the distinction between worrying up about the future and planning for the future is, is two different things. and. You know, I, I, when I hear it in that sense, that helps me realize that, you know, you can do both and, um, you know, be successful and, and hopefully, you know, healing and recovery. Right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for calling. Thank Thanks you. For, yeah, thank you, Nicola. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks Bye-bye. for calling. Bye. And, um. You know, Chris, what that brings to mind to me, what you're talking about, you've got some great quotes from um, Shulman, which I think uh, these are directly for counselors, but I think that they relate to anybody and, and directly to what you're, what you were just saying to Nicola. Uh, this quote is, uh, at the title of the, the article or the book is, Is What I Do Who I Am? And uh, one of the quotes here is, If I measure my success by looking at the outcome of sobriety, by my patients as a result of my treatment, my self-image is going to take a major blow. And and then the follow-up to that is, however, what if I measure the progress toward my purpose in life, not by outcomes that I cannot control, but by processes that I can? I love that. Yes, uh, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's like, it sounds like what pretty much what you were just saying to Nicola is um yeah make those columns about what you can and what you can't really affect Makes right and, and you know as i was mentioning i, I really think that that's a, a big source of, of many people's anxieties and in some ways you know I, I have the children at the hospital thank for that you know that they really stayed in the moment without denying uh you know a, a reality uh for themselves right right yeah that's really um Really, really um, important. It's, it's, it is. It's like living in that place where you know that this, this is life in this moment. You know, this is, this is what it is, um, and and I have to be present to it, even if it's difficult or painful or I don't know where the future is going. This is it, and that's that's a good thing. Not always easy, but a wonderful thing for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you know, I try to help people understand that if you're trying to stay focused in the moment. And if you're feeling stressed, 
you know, think for a moment what it is that you're feeling stressed about, and it's probably something about the past or, or worry about the future. And then what I ask them to do is now think that right this second, what are you stressed about? Mm-hmm. And in most cases, everybody can say, well, nothing right now. They'll jump to the butt. But I have, and that's where you stop and say, okay, nothing right now. Mm-hmm. So why are you stressed? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and really helping to understand that right this moment, whatever we're doing, are you stressed right now? Now, if you are, then again, let's work on these two columns. If right in this moment you're not, then live in the moment. Don't be stressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's easier said than done. I do acknowledge that. Right. For sure. You know, you were talking before uh, before we uh, got our caller on, you were telling us that you had done work with people uh, on using the 12 steps, but people that aren't really in a recovery process, the people that don't have the disease of addiction, or are they, I'm assuming, family members of, of people with that disease. So what do you tell people, how do they use the 12 steps um, if they're not really in a recovery process and don't need to be? The way that, you know, we work is we have to, come to an understanding that for all of us, and and I'm including myself, you know, for all of us, we have areas of of growth. We have areas of ourselves that we need to move forward about. And if you look at addiction, addiction would be an area where I'm stuck and I need to move forward. I think for most of us in our own lives, within our own ability to be stuck, We've also done things where we do have regrets, where we have things where we have hurt others, where maybe we've lost our our faith or lost our way. So even though we're not naming it addiction, if we can begin to reflect on where am I in a state of needing that growth, and then as we go through the 12 steps, that's what we plug in as we're looking at them. So in in step one of, of admitting that we have a problem, Well, maybe we're not admitting that we have a problem of an addiction, but we all have a problem of being human. And I think Mm -hmm. the problem of being human is we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. So let's start naming some of those. Let's just get honest with ourselves because none of us are. And then we can move on, you know, for the steps further, Um, especially when we get into the steps, you know, about making the amends and and talking with other people. I would hope that that is what we're doing regardless of what it is I need to make those amends for. So I really think that, you know, anyone can use these and and really it would not be a bad thing to use them. You know, Mm -hmm. I I used to always help the, uh, when I was doing the counseling with, with people with addiction, help them to understand that, you know, when you finish the 12 steps, you're not done. Because if you loosely read step 12, it pretty much tells you, and I'm highly paraphrasing, that you need to go back to step one and start all over again. Mm -hmm. And I think if we keep doing that within our lives, every time we look at the 12 steps, if we've already gone through them and now we're repeating them, if the 12 steps have changed us, I'm now viewing my redo of the 12 steps from a different perspective. If I'm different, my viewpoint is now different. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that just helps us to, to keep growing. And, and that's one of the reasons that really my second theme in, in reading a lot of my writings, you're going to see the word perspective thrown all over the place. Um, I do it sometimes in humorous ways and sometimes not humorous, but we really do need to look at life different. Right. Yeah. And that changes everything that uh, it really does get us into a, a way of, of knowing that we're connected to life and that, um, you know, that because we can kind of wall ourselves off, I think, with our problems. Again, whatever they might be, we can we can build quite a fort around ourselves and feel pretty isolated. Well, most definitely. And, and you know, I, I think even within the act of active addiction, a lot of people isolate. Um, and even just doing that, you know, that, that isolation within the addiction runs deep because it, it's not just, the isolation that I'm doing sometimes an illegal act, but it's that isolation that I really am ashamed of what I'm doing or, or who I'm becoming. So I need to isolate myself, uh, you know, from my family, from my friends, from my society. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do we bring that connectedness back, you know, and help to find where are all those areas that you've isolated yourself so that we can work on bringing you into a new connection 
But for me, the only commonality to find that connection is, is finding yourself again, feeling comfortable with yourself. I personally don't know how to do that without um, bringing in a spiritual sense, you know, right. without understanding that there's something greater than myself. Right. Hang on to that. We're, it's time for our break. Um, my guest is Chris Shea. Our topic is spirituality of connectedness. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Guidance and direction are bubbling up from your soul all the time, even at night. But do you hear your soul when it calls? Do you recognize it? Do you trust it? Can you trust it? How can you be certain you are hearing the voice of your precious soul? Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that help you hear your soul, recognize and trust its guidance, and begin to take action to create a truly beautiful life. Learn the wisdom habit of divine dialogue in Writing Down Your Soul. How to live a life of integrity in Soul Vows. And discover your soul's unique purpose in Check the Box. If you long to create a soul-directed life, visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on A Course in Miracles, with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central, here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, our topic today is spirituality of connectedness. My guest is Chris Shea. Chris is an addictions counselor, very engaged in leadership in the addiction professional community and in uh, also in writing for that professional community. He has been a supervisor and a counselor over 20 years, and he's also a pastoral minister. So he is currently a campus minister at a Catholic high school, and he's also an adjunct professor in the Family Studies and Community Development Department. Um, of the School of Liberal Arts at Towson University. So uh, Chris is talking to us um, in some really interesting ways about spirituality and connectedness. And Chris, right before the break, you were um, talking with us about the idea of when you're looking for yourself, you can't really find yourself unless you find something beyond yourself. And uh, another great quote um, that you have written, it's a quote by Furter in 1986 and it's talking about Maslow. It says Maslow himself recognized a motivational force higher than self-actualization, an inner drive to place the needs of others above a person's own needs. Some have called it self-transcendence, others have called it personal integration, and still others have called it holiness. So, what do you think about that? What's that motivational um, force? I, I love that quote. Um, it's actually a wonderful book, too, but I, I really love that quote, and, and the quote really helped me to get through uh, some uh, you know issues within my spiritual life. But I, I do think that that's very true, that to really know who I am, I need to get outside of myself. And <laughs> one of the things that I talk to the high school kids a lot about now is, you know, how do you know who you are? One of the ways I think you know who you are is, who you hang around with the the people that you're associated with is going to help define you. 
And I think in a similar sense, if I want to know who I am, am I going to just look at the world around me and have that identify me, or am I going to look for something that's higher and greater than myself to define me? Because I really think that just looking at the world around me without acknowledging some sort of higher force that has created this world, that then it actually just becomes pretty dreary because then it's all up to me. And I understand, at least for myself, that I'm not that good. But by working with my higher power, I can do almost anything. So, you know, I think the more I can strive towards that generally leads me to wanting to help other people. And the more that I help other people, I really believe that the more deeply I understand myself and therefore come to an understanding of uh, my own higher power. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something we try to do within the campus ministry of where I am that I call it the circle of life within campus ministry. Mm -hmm. Our two big components of campus ministry is our retreat program and prayer structure and our um, community service. Mm-hmm. You know, so it combines those. We're, we need to help other people. I feel good about who I am, and then hopefully that leads me into a acknowledgement of thank you for my gifts. But the minute I say that, I've already acknowledged a higher power. Right, right. It's a good point. I'm looking, too, at uh, you quote in some of your writings, a study by Levy and colleagues that uh, says that in addiction, uh, meditation is very helpful when coupled with um, cognitive therapies and also therapeutic uh, uh, drug therapies, which is a good thing. And medical uh, treatments can sometimes help people who are getting in recovery. And what it's saying is that me- when you put meditation practices or meditation-like practices in with other um, therapeutic tools, that it's much more helpful than just um, having talk therapy or even medically medical uh, therapy with talk therapy that putting the meditation in there really makes a difference. Uh, tell us some more about that. How does that work? Well, it really does go into the holistic sense uh, of helping all of us to heal. You know, as a clinician, I'm not going to downplay clinical technique. Um, my training is more in cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which I, I really uh, strive toward and, and really think it is effective, but that alone isn't going to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, pharmacotherapies, which is using, you know, medication uh, to help uh, really with many medical uh, illnesses, including addiction, uh, is good, but you're still not getting to everything because, again, we come back to the person now who feels that they have a hole within themselves. You know, mm-hmm. so the talk therapies can help me in my cravings and, and help me in, in my way of thinking. And maybe some of these um, prescribed drugs can help me, you know, regain what was lost medically within me. But what do I still do about my spirit? What do I do about me and, and where I had gone and where I need to go and how do I grow? And to me, and I just did a, a recent blog about this, and you know that really when I sit in silence, and, and this would be the meditation piece, the more that I can sit in silence, the more that I can listen to what's going on around me. And mm-hmm. we don't do that. So we miss so much because we're all multitasking. Mm-hmm. Um, so within that multitasking, sure, I can be good at multitasking, but am I really putting my 100% focus on each of the multi multiple tasks that I'm doing? And you can't. I mean, that, that's impossible for us. Um, but when I sit still and quiet myself and just listen to the natural sounds around me, uh, I believe that that's where then I can start to hear what is my heart and my mind saying without me using anything else to get in the way of what my heart and my mind are saying. Mm-hmm. How do you help somebody that uh, sometimes people, frankly, don't want to sit in the silence because they're scared? They're scared if they stop running, if they sit still, something horrible is going to happen or something's going to come up in their mind. What do you say to somebody um, like that that can help them um, be willing to just slow down even a little bit? Well, I think the last part that you just said is key. Mm -hmm. There's no one therapy, no one approach that's going to work for everyone. You know, we are all unique in in our histories. We're unique in the way that we perceive the world. Let's go back again to perspective and all. 
but I, I really do believe that, you know, if you don't right now have the ability to sit still or refuse to sit still, and, and what you say is true for, you know, a lot of the, the clientele that I've worked with, that they don't want to face those demons, so to speak, you know, and, and are running from them. You know, they're either running from that addiction demon or running from, you know, the, the demons that got them into the addiction in the first place. So we take it slowly. I'm not going to say that, you know, when I say stop for 10 minutes and, and meditate, let's put stop in quotes, small letters, in the sense that is stopping for you putting away the multitasking and just taking a walk through nature. You know, is stopping for you putting your phone down and even if you're walking in a city street, can you notice that there is that weed growing up through the crack? You know, and what does that weed look like? And, and you know, it, it's, again, diverting our attention into the small things and noticing the environment around me. And I think over time, as people become more comfortable with that, that hopefully we can get them more comfortable to actually sit still, actually be quiet. In time for somebody to, to I think, really heal and, and move forward, they're going to have to face those things that they don't want to stop and face. But nobody says we have to face them day one. We can work our way into feeling confident enough, secure enough, maybe confident enough in the person who's directing you in, in that meditation that they're going to keep you safe, that you can one day actually sit there and say, okay, let, let's deal with demon number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. When you're um, talking about that, Chris, one thing that comes to mind is is sometimes what that demon is, is the void. It's like, you know, sometimes I think people think, what, what if there ain't nothing in there? You know, maybe there's, maybe there's a void in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't know. And it, I think of this, you have a great quote by Wendell Berry, who is a wonderful um, lover of this earth and an ecologist. And I love this quote. He, he writes, it may be when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. What does that mean? And how does that relate to this idea of self and higher power and facing what's inside of us? For me, looking at that quote, and one of the reasons that I use that in, in many of my talks, and, and I'm not anti-technology, I'm not anti-science, I'm not any of those, except to say that I think we as a society right now are looking for answers and that we feel that if we can't find the answer, then we continue to focus in on that question and that answer and get frustrated with the fact that I can't find the answer. And for me, what that quote is saying is that maybe we should just move along with the journey. Because I I do believe in in my own spiritual journey that not everything has a set answer. I do believe everything has an answer, but I may not be yet ready for that answer. Just like the person may not be ready to face a demon, I have to work towards that. So for me, it's, it's that final acknowledgement of saying, you know what, I really don't know, and maybe not knowing right now is okay, as mm-hmm. long as my journey keeps moving, as long as I don't stop my journey, that let's just keep going along the path that, that I feel is the right way to be going, the path that is not harming me at this moment, even though I don't know where it's headed, I, I don't know much about any of this, but that's still okay because I have a higher power and I have to trust in the fact that they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's more living the question versus living the answer. And I think that's very difficult for most people. And I would say it's difficult for me. You know, I can say all this stuff now and, you know, if any of the listeners are sitting back going, well, you know, wow, you know, look at what he's all saying. You know, this is all being said after decades of struggle to come to a a point for me to say this. But it's also me saying this, and and I even put in in my very first blog post that I say a lot of this and write a lot of this to remind me Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not done with the struggle. You know, my journey hasn't ended, um, and I'm not saying I know where it's going either, um, but I'm trying to walk the journey, and, and that's one of the reasons I really encourage participation along the journey and this whole sense of connectedness, because I don't believe we were ever meant to journey alone. 
Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, and we're going to wrap it up here uh, pretty quickly, but another thing you do is you cite some studies. They're, they're about counselors, but it's about the whole concept of burnout that I think anybody could relate to, that what burns people out is not the workload. What burns people out is feeling like they don't matter in an organization or feeling like they don't have any uh, quality of relationships or influence. That's astonishing, and it's a one, it's wonderful because what it says is the 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 solution is what you're just saying is that is a feeling of connection and a feeling of self worth. Um, it's all about relationships. Exactly, and one of my exactly, and that's really one of the reasons that you know I wrote the uh, article on the spirituality of connectedness when I saw that study from the National Institute of Health. You know that really showed that that it's not necessarily a workload or being overworked. But it is that sense of connectedness, you know, and, and yeah, the study was done for addiction professionals, but I, I think, you know, that can be brought into anyone that, you know, when you really look at this and say, if, if I don't feel that sense of connection to what I'm doing, a sense of connection to the agency for which I'm working, a, a connection to the mission, uh, you know, of what I'm all about, then when I lose that sense of that connection, um, that's where I'm going to feel the stress. And right. that's where the burnout is going to come out because I'm losing now the sense of me. Mm-hmm. Good point. And that, and again, the solution is to make that connection with with yourself, your higher power, and through that with other people. Chris, thank you so much for being my guest today. Uh, my guest is Chris Shea. He's an addiction professional. He's a, a campus ministry professional, pastoral counselor, and a very involved in leadership in the addiction field. Um, you can learn more about him at lifesjourneyblog.com. There's no apostrophe in there. I look him up on Facebook at Life's Journey Blog. Uh, he's got a Facebook page and also Twitter, Life's Journey Blog. So, again, thank you, Chris, for being my guest today. Well, thank you very much. It was an honor to uh, be speaking with you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, and blessings to you. And listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests We'll share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment from Reverend Joan Gattuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, 
I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.